Dagon's Illusion, Episode 37, Channels. Jack Carson's lay with his eyes closed on a couch in his penthouse office. Not far away, Amelia was sitting in the lotus position in the middle of the circular bed, deep in meditation. Suddenly, her whole body twitched and went rigid. Her eyes opened and her head flipped back at a grotesque angle. She grunted and her pupils rolled into her skull. Out of her came a groaning croak. Though her mouth hung open with her jaw slack, from out of it came a voice so deep and wrenching it sounded like her throat was being torn from her body. Jack! Oh, Jack! Carson's eyes flickered open. In a wheedling sing-song, the voice warbled, Wake up, Jack! Wake up, Jack! Wake up, you little piece of dung! Carson's groaned. Amelia's head snapped around to face him. A presence was staring through the whites of her eyes. Get up, Jack! Get up! Oh, please. I'm, I'm injured and in pain. I was attacked. Madame LaLaura worked on me, but I'm very weak. The voice roared. I said, get up! Invisible hands grabbed Carson's by the flesh of his chest. He screamed in agony as they lifted him in the air, then dropped him onto his feet with a bone-jarring crunch. Holding his wound, he doubled over. Oh, God! Oh, God! Oh, God! Come to me, Jack! Come! Gasping, Carson stumbled across the floor to the bed and dropped to his knees. As though she were a puppet, Amelia's head jerked down to stare at him, her lips spread apart in a grin so wide it almost tore her cheeks. Our meeting, Jack. Did you forget our meeting? Didn't you put it in your Blackberry? Do I need to enter your computer again? No, please. I didn't forget. I've been injured. A monster threw me off the roof. Oh, I saw. I saw. So delicious, so delightful, so entertaining, like the funniest home videos. I almost died. I love television, Jack. Carson's gasped with pain. I said I love television, Jack. I know, but, but the TV, I can't turn it on. Our generator's out, no electricity. I love Family Guy, Jack. I love that fat ass. I love the Sopranos, Jack. I love their murders. I love Desperate Housewives, Jack. I love those bitches. Oh, and the Apprentice. He doesn't understand what fired means. But one day he will. I love it. I love the Apprentice. But most of all, Jack, most of all, I love the news. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. Please forgive me. Carson's was almost sobbing. The voice dropped to a whisper. Is it too much to ask? From others I demand self-flagellation, or half their wealth, or the sacrifice of their firstborn child. From you, my only request has been that you would 
TiVo, my favorite shows. I, I swear they're all recorded. I just can't play them until we get electricity. The presence cooed with softness. I am well aware of your gross limitations, but you must be strong, Jack. That's why our blessed master allowed you this tiny moment of suffering. Carson's almost choked. Tiny moment of suffering? I was thrown off a roof. I crashed into a swimming pool. I almost exploded. Why did he let this happen? Suffering is an epistemological process, Jack. But I was called to the garden. I saw the wonderful one. I was glorified. Venice! To whom much is given, much is required, Jack. It is the law of reciprocation. Don't you remember the second truth of your novitiate? Law is love, and love is law. God is love, and love is God. But law is pain, so love is pain. Law is pain, so pain is God. Those who worship our glorious master must do so in sanctified suffering, for it is in transformational wretchedness that our eternal strength and wisdom are to be found. It, it, it's so hard to remember that when your guts are being ripped out. That is why we have given you television. What? Think, Jack, why do we call it channels? Uh, I don't get it. Through simple yet profound presentations, we use television to transport you out of your individual torment into the great confluence of transformational wretchedness. Then the principle of vicarious emotive participation takes control, amplifying and diffusing your personal misery into the collective strength and wisdom of frustrated rage, the outlets for which are bestowed by our blessed master. So, to get strong, I've got to be more wretched than I am, and I do that by watching more television. It is the deeper initiation, and after you watch enough and suffer enough, you will write a book and go on talk shows. How in hell will I know when I've suffered enough? Dear God, is it more than this? You will know, because you will be given a literary agent who will take you to new levels of degradation, which will be fodder for more books and even your own television series. And so the illumination of the channels will take you ever deeper into the womb of wisdom. I, th I think I want to commit suicide. I'm joking, Jack. The whole thing is a joke. Can't you take a joke? You've got to lighten up. Laugh, Jack, laugh. Laughter is the best medicine. Carson's tried to croak out a laugh, but it choked into a horrible groan. <laughs> Laughing makes my guts feel like they're bursting. <laughs> Suddenly the voice changed. From deep and masculine, it became a woman's low, silky voice, but it didn't belong to Amelia. 
Sweet Jack, I'm so sorry for your pain. Amelia left the bed and knelt beside him, stroking his head and rubbing her body against his. I'm here for you, Jack. Always, always I'm here for you to give you everything you want, even your darkest desires. You can do anything to me, Jack, even tear this soft flesh to pieces. Go ahead, take me and kill me. I'll come back to you in ever more beautiful bodies. Within them you will plunge into ravishing anguish. Turn toward me. Slowly he turned. Now I will suck your pain away. She kissed him, plunging her tongue deep into his mouth. Then she sucked. Slowly, he felt the pain vanish. He breathed a deep sigh and whispered, Oh, oh, thank you. She whispered, Stand up, Jack. He rose with her. Holding him in her arms with her face against his neck, she murmured, You have been given a great gift. Because of your faithfulness, our blessed Master has called you into deeper modalities of illuminance, which will give us even more pleasure. There was a high whistling noise and a rumbling vibration shook the penthouse. Slowly the edges of reality softened. Across the room the bookcase vanished, and the ancient door appeared in the moss-covered wall. Go, Jack. Go through the door. Go now. But call for me when you return. I'll be here waiting, nestled deep in this warm flesh. Instantly, Amelia dropped onto the bed and her pupils rolled into place. She awoke, gasping and shaking. Oh, God, oh, God, oh, God! She stared at Carson's. She was here? Yes. I can't stand it. She sucks the life from me. She began crying. Someday you're going to kill me. I know it because that's what she wants. I can feel her inside eating my heart, wanting me dead so she can possess a new body and bring it to you. Carson sat down beside her and stroked her hair. You're sweating with fear, Amelia. There's no reason to be afraid. Yes, you're right. She hates you, but I love that. It pleases me to frustrate her. It adds amazing layers to our passion. As long as you obey, as long as you do everything and anything exactly the way I want, you're safe, sweetheart. I won't kill you. I promise. Amelia held her side and groaned. What's happened to me? I feel like my insides are being ripped out. She took the pain from my body and gave it all to you. As I heal, you will heal. That's what you're here for, Amelia. You're my surrogate, my living sacrifice. Now I have to go. I want you to rest. When I come back, we'll play our little game. Who will show more passion? You are the one who lives in your guts. He kissed her deeply. Then he got up and walked across the room. The instant he passed through the door, he was enveloped in a cold, moist darkness that was almost thick enough to touch. Though he couldn't see, he knew that he was outside. Shivering, he hugged himself. All right, let's get on with it. What happens next? From long experience, he knew that there was nothing to do but wait. And he hated waiting, especially when his ass was freezing off. Suddenly, he began to hear something that chilled him more than the air. It was strange, mournful singing, deep voices coming from far away. As they grew louder, the darkness began to thin into night. He found that he was standing in a forest of tall trees shrouded in silver mist. Over the forest hung a huge sickle moon like the blade of a disembodied battle axe. 
Where was the singing coming from? He tried to see. Next to him was a steep path that led upward, vanishing into gently swirling fog. He was on the side of a mountain. The singing was coming from below, louder now, and with it he heard chants, deep voices calling, answering each other. Then he saw them. Coming up the path toward him was a vast throng, moving slowly in procession, carrying torches that burned with an eerie blue glow. Nearer, like drifting shadows they moved, tall figures swathed in long dark robes, singing and chanting as though from the depths of sorrow. As the procession wound past, no one seemed to notice him. And though there were many thousands, in the moonlight he couldn't make out a single face. Finally, he joined the march. For an hour, they climbed upward. The forest disappeared, and the path became a narrow track between ghostly walls of jagged rock. Suddenly, the singing took on a frightening intensity, and with it came cries that rose to shrieking wails. Never had he heard such anguish. The rock walls were left behind, and the ground flattened. A moment later, the mist parted, and the procession stopped. They were on a wide plateau that stretched for miles in the moonlight. Slowly the group separated, spreading in two directions around a black crater that gashed across the mountaintop. Following one group, Carson's found a place to stand. He looked down. Instantly a wrenching dizziness turned his knees to water. He was on the brink of a mighty precipice, and far below lay a thing of dreams.